Well, it's a, a blessing for me to be here with you tonight. I, of course, I always look forward to coming over here and being around David. And I know David is elsewhere. I spoke to him either today or yesterday. I know he's out with your VBS crew doing, doing that out in Texas. But I uh, thank a lot of David and uh, known him over the years. Enjoy being around him. He, uh, he has an interesting sense of humor. I said, uh, I said to somebody one time, I said, you know, that guy is so funny. And they said, what? <laughs> so that's where that kind of humor gets you sometimes. I wanted to talk to you tonight about something that uh, you know about already. Don't have to, I really don't have to give this lesson because the people that gathered together on a Wednesday night in a congregation of the Lord's Church know about love. You understand it. You practice it. Love is the way you live. I want to talk about love tonight from the point of view of the practical consequences of love properly practiced. The practical consequences of love properly practiced. Now, I did a series on love recently. I was filling in at a place where a friend of mine had been preaching there for 21 years, uh, Bud White, over in Athens. He had passed away. I was filling in a little bit for him, and the brethren wanted us to do a lesson, a series of lessons on love, so I I began to think about it again. I mean, I preach on love every so often, but I hadn't, Larry, I hadn't done a series, you know, in quite a while. So I got to thinking about it, and you know, where you start is where you always start, and realizing that uh, in, the, in the language of the New Testament, there were uh, four words that could be translated love. That's in the language of the New Testament, the Koine Greek. Only two of them are used for any, any kind of uh, uh, repetitive fashion. That's the, the word for brotherly love and the word that we're going to think about tonight. The word for that highest love, that agape love. So, uh, I mean, there's also a word for physical love and there's a word for family love. Now, you do find in Romans 1 the the negative of that family love word, it's translated without natural affection. That, but generally speaking, in the Greek world of the first century, the word that was most often used for love was the word for brotherly love. The phileo, like Philadelphia, that word, you know, you all know that. That was the word that was used most of the time when people talked about love. But this word agape that uh, we've learned in, in the church, we've learned in our studies, is, the, is this highest form of love. The, the love that says, I want the best for you, and I don't care what it costs me. And it's exemplified by Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That agape love, it's... 
It's the highest form. And that word was around in the first century in, among the Greek people, the Greek-speaking people. That word was around, but Jesus took it, and he took it to a higher level. And I mean higher in terms of its intellectual power and high in terms of its purity and dynamic. And he did that uh, in the way he used the word to the extent that ultimately what happened was that he redefined it because, uh, you know, it was kind of a high-minded word before Jesus got a hold of it. It was, it was a word that indicated that somebody was, was just a, a clearer thinking individual. But Jesus put more power onto it. And, of course, that's the way we think of that word today. And it's the word we find that John used in, in 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word's also used in 1 John 2 too. Propitiation, the sacrifice, the, the Lamb of God. Then John said in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now there's some, there's some other passages that we naturally think of when we think about love. And we think of John 13, 34 where Jesus told his disciples, love one another. For by this shall men know that you are my disciples. So the trademark of a child of God is love, that we love each other. And then, you know, Peter said to love the brotherhood. And of course, 1 Corinthians 13 gives us that great definition of love and going through some characteristics of it. Love suffers long in his kind. Love envies not, love vaunts not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You know, we put all that together. And we think about this, this love that we're going to talk about tonight in terms of its consequences. How is it that we operate within it and around it? And you know, you look at it and you finally come down, I think you come down to a point of view where you say that uh, love is not something that's... Uh, you know, a characteristic of a person among many other characteristics. Instead, love is the Christian's state of being. That it is our state of being. That we operate as people 
who in every day and in every way love one another in this sacrificial agape way of loving. And then we just do that all the time. That doesn't mean that we always agree with everybody. It, it doesn't even mean that we like everybody. But it does mean that we love everybody, including our enemies, and we'll get to that after a while. But this love as a state of being, if we, if we could get our head, heads around it and practice it all the time, and I know you do. I mean, don't we? Don't we try our best to practice the love that Christ has taught us to practice? I think we do. But what if we did it uh, more consistently, or a little bit better? Now, you know, you've, you've experienced all the, the negatives when people forget to love each other, right? When they forget to realize that as children of God, they live in the state of being of love. You know what happens, you know, you know. Well, you know, I just, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to uh, not feel this way, but man, I just hate her. Or I just hate him. Or why do they have to do that? You know, it just drives me crazy. When that person comes in the room, it makes me upset. Now you say, I've never heard anybody say that. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Because I know you've heard people say things like that. And admittedly, <laughs> there are people that are hard to love. They really are. I don't know, in my experience, what I find is that if you, uh, if you work pretty diligently at it, uh, you can find something about almost anybody who's a Christian to love. But you know, we're not, <laughs> we're not uh, put in the category of just loving Christians, are we? Jesus said to love our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 48. And... Just keep that in the back of your mind. You know what he said there. But first of all, let's start thinking about these consequences. Consequences of love properly practiced. Number one, conflict will diminish. And I, I'm, I believe that's true no matter what the context you want to talk about. On a football team, in world politics, wherever you want to apply it, in the family, in the home, in the church, if we practice love the way God wants us to practice it, this agape love, which says, you know, I know that I want certain things to go my way, but I love you, so I want them to go your way. And if they go your way, I won't have to worry about them going my way. You know. What kind of love is that? Well, it's a mother's love, isn't it? Mama gets up in the morning to take care of the baby. She doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't necessarily want to, but she does because she's going to love that person first. And then we see that applied all the way across. But conflict will diminish if we love like this. John said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, 1 John 4 verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I didn't say that. He said that. I love God, but I tell you what, I hate that rascal. And you say, well, oh, I don't hate anybody I go to church with. What about the folks who go to church across town? You know. 
If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? Just think about that. If I can't hate a man that I can walk up to and talk to and have coffee with and, and all of that, if I can't love him, how am I going to love God? I'm not going to see God, not physically. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Notice that verse 21 doesn't say should love his brother also. You've, you know, since Larry is here with you, you've had plenty of opportunity to think about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. And uh, he was telling me before something I, I knew had to be the case anyway, that the Russian Christians, it's tearing them up that this is happening. They can't stand it. But what if, this is crazy, right, Doc? It's crazy. But what if Vladimir Putin loved people like Jesus Christ or Paul the Apostle or this fellow right here loves people. Did I point to the right one? It'll work a little bit. Okay, good. But the point is, if Putin loved folks, he couldn't do what he's doing. Or if any other politician in the world, any other guy we think of with the black hats, you know, and all that. If, if people loved each other, conflict would diminish. How can you shoot a gun at anybody, unless you're trying to defend your family and home, how can you shoot a gun at anybody if you love them? Of course, now, I believe in defensive stuff. You know, you, you ought to be able to do that. But I'm talking about if you just, I'm mad, I just don't like you, and boom, there you go. You wouldn't do that if you loved them. No way in the world you'd function in that fashion. So if we love one another the way God wants us to love one another, conflict will diminish. And that's going to happen at home, too. You know, I, I was in, uh, I did local work for 46 years. And, uh, you know, I'm doing this fill-in stuff, and I enjoy every minute of it, but in doing local work, you learn some things. And you learn that sometimes in a family, and a home, people don't love each other. They say, oh, no, no, we love each other. We got married. We love each other. We really like me. No, if you wouldn't treat each other the way you treat each other if you loved each other. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. Conflict will diminish if sacrificial love is practiced. A man who loves his wife will not beat her up. He won't do it. And if he does beat her up, he doesn't love her. Now, my daddy was no Christian. Let me tell you, he was, he, he's an interesting fella. He was a good fella. But he wasn't a Christian. But I tell you what, he told all of us boys, 
you lay a hand on a woman, you're worse than a dirty dog. Except he didn't say dirty dog. He used a more expressive formulation. Conflict will diminish if we love one another. Number two. Remember Jesus said in John 13, 34, love one another, love one another for by this shall men know that you are my disciples. You know what will happen? If we do the best job we can at loving one another, the church will expand. The church will expand. Somebody says, well, we love each other. It doesn't expand. Well, it's not going to expand immediately all the time. But it won't expand at all, ever, if we don't love each other. Can you imagine somebody wanting to be a member of a church where people are fussing and fighting and don't love each other? They won't do it. They won't do it. I tell you what, I've been around. Oh, I don't want to get into those uh, little anecdotes about uh, mean-spirited individuals. But a mean-spirited individual is not a loving person. There was a debate down in LaGrange, Georgia, way back before I ever got there. It was told to me, the story was told to me about how, by Howard Lester. Brother Howard Lester, if you ever go to the campus of Faulkner University, there is a, the Lester Pavilion, the Lester, it's, it's, you know, their money did a lot of that stuff down there. Brother Lester said that they were discussing a question that uh, had to do with how the church ought to operate in in the way it does things with its money and so forth. I'm not going to get into what it was, but y'all, most of y'all know what I'm talking about. All right? So we had our guy debate. They had their guy. And our guy made the best arguments and uh, showed the truth, Brother Lester said. And Won the debate, according to everybody. Then at the end of the debate, he got up and told the assembled audience, he said, if you folks had any sense, you couldn't have been taught this mess. In, in those words, he lost the debate because what he said was unloving. It was egotistical. It was arrogant. A Christian is to be a... Listen, if you are a Christian and you win something, you're supposed to win it with humility, right? If you come out ahead, be humble about it. Be humble about it. If you're smart enough to do something better than somebody else, be humble about it. Be loving about it. If you have the ability to do anything that somebody else can't do, understand that it wasn't you that did it. It was the way God blessed you with those abilities. What will happen if we love each other and don't make those kind of serious mistakes to show the world that we really don't love each other, the church can expand. Now, I know it's a tough job particularly in our day and time when the entire environment that we live in is not an environment conducive to folks who believe what we believe about God's Word being successful in terms of numbers. 
It's not. I mean, it's probably worse now than it has been for the last 50 years. But does that give us the opportunity to give up? No, we have to keep on going. We have to keep on going. Because just because the church is not doing it here like we'd like for it to do in some instances, doesn't mean it's not doing it somewhere like uh, Russia, Ukraine, Nigeria, Guyana, all these places, India. So if we, but loving each other, I think is key. Because Jesus, here's the reason I think it's key. Not because of something I've observed. Because what Bill sees doesn't make a difference in the world. But Jesus said, love one another, for by this men shall know you're my disciples. And that's what we want people to know. Number three, our children will be encouraged if we love one another. Uh, one of the things that's a heartbreaker, of course, is when you see kids that don't want to hang around the church after they get able to leave it. Why does that happen? Why does that happen? I can't give you a simple answer. Sometimes it happens when everybody involved has done the very best they could do. Couldn't, couldn't do any better. There's no way you could outline a better way than what they did. Sometimes it happens that reason. But other times, the kids hear that love is the answer, that God so loved the world, and then when they get home, mom and daddy don't love each other. And it discourages the children. It really does. Now, every kid that I've ever been around, including my two, have gone through a period where they're a little bit too easy to be discouraged. And uh, I, I know you guys aren't this way, but there are some kids that will annoy the daylights out of their parents. Now, I know you, especially the girls wouldn't. Now, these guys are grinning, so you know that they would, but uh, nothing personal. But the point is, of course, we, we've got to encourage our children, not discourage. And the way to encourage them is to love each other. Now, one thing every kid in the world ought to know is that mama loves daddy and daddy loves mama. And that is uh, stamped out in stone and there's nothing that's going to change that. And, if, and regardless, they may make, daddy may make hundreds of mistakes, mama may mess up too. But the one thing a kid's got to learn and got to know is that mama loves daddy and daddy loves mama and that's it. And no matter what happens, the relationship that they enjoy is right out of Ephesians 5, verses 22 and following. That that husband loves his wife sacrificially, that wife follows the lead of her husband because Jesus wants her to do that. And when the kids see that, when they see that, they're encouraged. They, you know, they may have all kinds of problems, but the one thing they know is that my mama and daddy love each other. And that's something I can take to the bank. I know that's the way it's got to be. Now, is that easy to do, folks? Don't, don't move your head. It's not easy to do. 
But it can be done. It can be done. Boy, we got to want to do it. Got to absolutely want to do it. Then we go to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. And this is one that I love. Consequence of love properly practiced, fear will be banished. Fear is banished. Dissolved. Poof. It's gone. 1 John 4 verse 17 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, judgment, because... As he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, that's complete love, that's mature love. The word perfect. When you see the word perfect in the New Testament, it means complete, mature, full grown. Perfect love casts out fear. Complete, mature love gets rid of fear. It kicks it out. It's gone because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect, mature, complete in love. We love him because he first loved us. You see, um, there are a lot of things that bother us as we go through life. I mean, they are, aren't they? I mean, I don't know if you've ever been short of money. That kind of can bother you. You ever had a situation? Have you ever... Have you ever had uh, lately conversations with the IRS after they lost your return? And somehow that's my fault. All right. So you can be cautious about that. You can be concerned about that. But I'm not afraid of it. Because in the end, the worst thing they can do is to get a hold of my money. And uh, ha-ha on them because there's not much of that there. But the point is, perfect love casts out fear. The fear that really matters is the fear of being lost. Because when you're lost, nothing makes any sense. These, uh, These great Christians around the world and some in our own immediate environment sometimes, who suffer, well, they do suffer physically, they suffer financially, suffer emotionally, but one way they, they, if, if they understand the love that Jesus taught, they won't suffer spiritually. We've got, a, I've got a friend, a dear friend at Hobbs Street that, uh, uh, they just a few minutes ago, really, they, they took a lesion. The, guy, the doctor explained it to her husband. It, look, it looks like a big blackberry. You know, like the blackberries? The big blackberry in the back of her brain that was swelling up. And when you have those lesions, they generally swell up and go back down. Hers just kept swelling up. So they had to do surgery. It's very perilous surgery. Vanderbilt University started at uh, 7 o'clock this morning and just finished a little while ago. And now is the tough time, all the recovery stuff. 
All right, y'all know enough about that to know that. That girl, I mean, she's, she's younger than me, but, she, you know, I consider her a girl, but she's, she's a grown woman. She's a grandmother. That girl says, you know what? She says this all the time. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right any way it works out. She said, if I come out of this and I can't walk and I can't talk, it'll be all right. I'd rather not be that way. Well, so would we. So would we. But she said, I know. I know, you know, the old song, I know that my Redeemer lives. She doesn't think she earned her salvation, but she knows she's got it because Jesus provided it for her. See, that banishes the, the absolute fear that, uh, I mean, here's, there's another element of that. Now, that's a perfect example, easy to understand. But what about the fear that you realize, like I realize, that I have weaknesses, spiritual weaknesses. I've been preaching the gospel for over 40-some years, and I still have spiritual weaknesses. Not as many as I used to have, and they're not quite as dangerous as they used to be, but I've still got them. And I know it. I mean, some things bother me. But because of the promise of God's love, mercy, and grace, I don't have to be afraid. What I need to do is work on my problems, but I don't have to be afraid. You know, it's like, you know, I'm, I, if, if I realize I, I have a thought that I shouldn't have, and, and then I realize, well, am I lost because of that? Then John says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, that the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing me from my sins. As I repent of those sins. Now, I can't go around and wallow in those weaknesses and and get wrapped up in those sins and keep doing them time after time after time. I need to stop that. But if that's part of my weakness, I need to realize that Jesus has still promised to help me. My fear is banished. You know, your fear, is, your fear of spiritual failure, listen to this, is banished by the fact that you know it's possible to succeed spiritually. Doesn't mean you're going to do it every day, but you know it's possible to do that. That banishes the fear. That banishes the fear. And I love that. <laughs> and my, my kids tell me, Daddy, you got jumpy. You're jumpy. They say, it used to be jumpy. But you know how when the car comes up from the side of an intersection... And you think, you know, they're bound to stop, right? But it doesn't look like they're going to stop. And you get, you get a little twitchy. And they said, Daddy, you're so jumpy. Well, I know I'm jumpy. I'm old, old men are jumpy. At least this one is. And so, but the fact is, I know that if that car didn't stop and smash me up so, so much that your machine couldn't straighten me out, that I would still be all right. Fear is banished. That's right. 
Here's a big one. Hate. What number is it? Five. Hate will be defeated. Hate is defeated. One of the things that I struggle with uh, is trying to help my friends uh, deal with hatred. Because we've been taught by the world that it's justified to hate certain people. You know, you hate, you know, somebody practices a sexual immorality. Oh, how in the world anybody do that? Don't you just hate people like that? People practice homosexuality and sodomy and all that. Don't you just hate them? I say, nope. Don't hate them. So he said, well, how can you keep from hating them? <laughs> because the man that went to the cross for me told me not to. That's it. So he didn't hate. He, Jesus doesn't hate sinners. Right? Why, how do we know that? Because he died for them. For us, for them, for all of us. So he doesn't, so if he can not hate them, I have to not hate them. The passage, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 43, You've heard that it's been said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, now, that's said, sure enough, but that's not necessarily what the old law said. That's what people said about what the old law said. Here's what he said. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that it may be, that you may be, the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans, the tax collectors, the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, mature, full grown, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We have to love our enemies. Now this is, this is not optional. This is not something that we might ought to do. This is something that we must do. That we have to develop this ability. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says, Brethren, and G, you know, John's writing this, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning, the old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. And I think he refers to John 13, 34. Again, the new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light. And there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. And does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If we love one another the way we ought to love each other. Hatred will be defeated. 
Now, I know what any reasonable person would say to that point in the sermon. Well, that ain't never going to happen. Hate's never going to be defeated. People love to hate each other too much. Hatred is always going to be around. Well, Jesus doesn't say it's going to be that hatred is going to disappear from everybody. But I tell you who it has to disappear from. Us. It can't be in the church. It cannot be in the church. I mean, it's just, just you know, you talk about all the doctrines and we're strong on doctrine. We ought to be. You know, there's a pattern revealed. 2 Timothy 1.13. We follow that pattern, we're going to be okay. But here's a doctrine. We can't hate folks. We can't hate each other. And we can't hate them out in the world. Can we say, now that person, that person not living right. Well, you can say that. You can go tell them that. But you better do it in love. What did Paul say? Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in what? Love. If I, if I go up and talk to somebody and I say, now you're a dirty dog, aren't you? Now, they're not going to like me. They're not going to listen to me. But if I go say, listen, brother, I love you. I love you. I really do. You may not believe I do, but I know I do, and that's all I care about. And then you can help try to correct that person, brother, sister, whatever it is, friend. Now, I don't know when that klaxon thing is going to go off. All right. Here's, here's the best thing. Uh, this kind of sums it all up. If we love one another the way God wants us to love each other, the big consequence is Christ is exalted. Christ is lifted up. Because there's no earthly, listen to me, there's no earthly reason to love each other that way. There's no physical reason to love each other that way. Because what does the world say? Well, all the great philosophers, Sartre and the rest of them, you win your battle. Don't you worry about your enemy. You're supposed to come out on top, whatever it takes. That's what the world says. Look out for number one. What does Jesus say? Look out for everybody else. The only reason and the only way that that particular way of living can make any sense is because of what Jesus says. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Christ is exalted when we do his will. When people look at a member of the church and they say, now that person... I'll say one thing about them. They sure do. They sure treat each other right. They sure love each other. And they love the people in the community. They love people. And it's, it's, it's uh, something that's visible. When they see that, somebody says, why do they do that? And the only reason why is because that's what Jesus wants to do. Because if we did what the world said to do, 
We wouldn't love each other. We'd continue to work to get an advantage over each other. To come out ahead, to come out on top. That doesn't mean that we don't want to win the game. We do want to win the game. But we want to win. What, you know, what love, what's love in a game, fellas? What do they call it? Sportsmanship? Sportsmanship. That's love in the game. I see what you're talking about. That is noticeable. That is noticeable. What is it? Is it a submarine thing? I like it. Huh? That's right. You got the wrong answer. Well, I appreciate your attention in here. And uh, as I understand it, we'll wait for everybody to come back in. And then somebody will give me the high sign and we'll offer an invitation.